Lord, thank you for your kindness to gather your people, to preserve for us for thousands of years your word, your truth. Lord, thank you for revealing in your scriptures that you are trustworthy, that you are true, and that you are accomplishing your great purposes in Christ Jesus. So I pray that, Lord, you would be with us as we engage with your word tonight, that you would be with me and my words guide and guard them so that I would say only what is honoring to the Lord Jesus, be with our discussions tonight, that uh, they too would encourage uh, each other, encourage us to seek after you and to walk humbly in repentance in Christ Jesus. So we pray, Lord, that you would accomplish those purposes, uh, not because we deserve it, Lord, but because we want you to get glory for um, our lives and to make them look more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So I thought tonight we could do something a little bit different. Let's start, open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 7. And uh, we are going to read just a couple verses that Jesus said it's the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. And uh, chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus outlines in these two verses, two paths. So there's two different men and one wise, one foolish. Both of them are building houses and both of them see what sounds like a terrible storm, rains and floods and wind, Uh, Only one man's house stood, and presumably that's what both of them wanted, to have their house to stand. And what's the difference? Uh, The surface on what they built. And the parallel here that Jesus makes for us is that that surface of what we're building our houses on, our lives on, will be sorry, there was a duck that was interrupting me. We'll be hearing Jesus' words and then what we do with those. And so, did they take Jesus' words to heart? Did they believe his words would stand? Did they believe that he was right and that he would see them through? So these, I suggest to you, Jesus holds up these two paths that are really helpful questions for us as we come to the book of Jeremiah. And uh, we ask in this, who is the God of the Bible? What kinds of things does he say? And how intentional is he about them? You and I, we, um, if I can put you in this boat, or at least I can say with me, uh, I speak idle words all the time. Things that I mean, and then I realize I made a mistake. Uh, Even the very best of us, the very best economic forecaster or weather person 
or March Madness bracket filler outer person, we don't get it right all the time. We make promises we forget about, we change our minds, we retract the posts that we make, we scramble around on Google. I just did this a couple weeks ago. Like, how do I unsend a text message <laughs> that I sent? Uh, that actually didn't work, by the way. Um, and I suggest to you that we do this with our words and everyone that we've lived with, uh, at least that we've seen with our eyes, they've done that too with their words. And so I suggest that oftentimes we might think that God is like us, that he uses words like we use words. God says, God reveals in the scriptures, the great story of the scriptures is that God is not like us in that way. Everything that he says, he means. He never retracts words. He always stands by them. What he says is always trustworthy. So that's, I hope, what we can learn tonight uh, because God only speaks trustworthy words. We should take his words to heart. We should build our lives on them. Because God speaks only trustworthy words, we should take his words to heart because we do need God's word to weather the coming storms. Uh, There are storms in our lives. And looking at the news, even today, shows that there are really hard things that happen in our world. Um, And even when God's words are hard for us to hear or difficult to understand, I suggest to you the lesson of the scriptures is that we should trust him. We should trust that he and he alone can cause his word to stand. And we should build our lives on him. So we are nearing the end of our study. We've been studying the kingdom divided. We started in 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, or chapter 11, I think. And we have been going all the way through, and now we've been in the prophets. Um, And so we have basically five weeks left, including tonight, of our study, official study. And then we'll have a, a celebration after that. So we have two on Jeremiah, a 52 chapter book. We are not gonna do it justice. And then we have one in Lamentations, one in Habakkuk, and then a sort of a wrap-up lesson. Um, And so we are going to be looking at Jeremiah tonight and uh, just getting a taste of uh, his ministry. And tonight we're going to focus on Jeremiah, the person, and his ministry. And then next week, we're going to focus on his message, some very distinctive aspects of his message, including the new covenant. And I uh, encourage you also to think, I just connected these dots on this week, that Jeremiah is worth our studying for many reasons, but one of them is that he is a recognizable character. Um, it's a true person, I believe. But uh, if you look at Matthew 16, when uh, our Lord Jesus asks his disciples, Matthew 16, verse uh, 13, this is when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. And so um, Jesus goes up into the north in Caesarea Philippi, up there and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And that was the son of man was his favorite designation of himself. 
uh, Jesus. So he's really saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Um, but he's, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so um, that was a little further than we need to read, but I didn't feel like we could cut off. So my point is, there's something distinctive about Jeremiah, that he was recognizable and people were looking for in Jesus's, uh, the time of Jesus's earthly ministry, they were looking for an analog, someone who was like Jeremiah to come. And so uh, just encourage you with that, that uh, Jeremiah does connect with the New Testament in many ways. Um, but tonight we're going to look at Jeremiah 1, uh, trying to get a, an idea of his person and ministry. Your discussion is going to take you more broadly than this. Um, so I'm excited that um, you guys will get to do that. But here basically to lay the foundation, who is Jeremiah and what does he mean? What does he mean within the ministry the Lord, God's redemptive purposes. And so uh, I am, we're going to go through this outline, Jeremiah 1. And so there's three parts. Uh, the first three verses, we'll see God speaks into history. Uh, 4 through 10, God speaks through Jeremiah. And then 11 through 19 verses, uh, God speaks the pattern of Jeremiah's ministry. So um, God speaks and his words matter. We should build our lives on them. So um, open your Bibles to Jeremiah 1, and we're going to dig right in and get started. So uh, first, God speaks into history. So, okay, I'm in Jonah now. Sorry, I need to figure out what Jeremiah is. Okay, Jeremiah 1, um, these first three verses are really anchoring these words in Jeremiah. didn't float to us down, you know, from out of the sky, but they came in a very specific historical context. Um, and let's look at that and, and think about it. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Okay, so that's establishing who Jeremiah is, the fact that his dad is named or his granddad, whoever, you know, because that was son was used more broadly than what you and I would might consider a son, um, that he was from a priestly line and he's a real person. His dad's name was mentioned. We're encouraged to take him like that. Um, Anathoth seems to be his hometown. That's about two to three miles northeast of Jerusalem. So you can see in my not so great drawn map, there's Jerusalem and Judah. Here's Babylon. It's going to be coming down from the north. We'll hear about that later. Uh, but in Jerusalem, so he's, you know, a couple, you know, an hour or so walk, a couple hours walk away from Jerusalem. Um, and so, uh, so verse two going on, to whom, and this is Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. And so uh, there were a lot of repeated words. Did you hear that? King was mentioned multiple times, Josiah multiple times, word multiple times. Those are important concepts. Um, and so 
the, this spans from the high point of Judah's actually most faithful revival under King Josiah to the lowest point where they have to go. It's, things are so bad that God takes them into exile. And uh, this is about a 40-year ministry. So let's take a couple moments to connect the dots. So you can, if you're using an online or electronic Bible, that's fine. You might want to keep it open to Jeremiah and then just use one of the pew Bibles to turn to Second Chronicles 34. Um, and we're going to look at uh, just briefly a few verses in here to kind of line up some of these dots because the the beginning verses one to three of Jeremiah one are super specific about when the when years happened, right? Okay, so thirty four, Second uh, Chronicles thirty four one um, talks is a summary of Josiah and like a sort of a timeline of his heart and ministry. And so listen for not only the timing, but also for his heart and what's going on. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So right there. Uh, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside from the right hand to the left or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, when while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and metal images and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon and as far as Naphtali, In their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So that was a big religious reform that happened, right? Year 12 of his, uh, wasn't that right? Year 12 of his reign. And by getting rid of all those rival worship centers, he is preparing the way to lead the people back to the Lord, that they would not have divided hearts and they would worship the Lord alone. And then verse eight, now in the eighth, 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, uh, he sent Shephthan, the son of Azalea and Masai, the governor of the city. And it goes on it to repair the house of the Lord, his God. And so that's really when the reform happens. They find the book of the law. They celebrate the Passover. This is a super big deal. Um, but our connection, our dot from Jeremiah 1 is that Jeremiah's ministry started in between verses 7 and 8. Or perhaps like when all the altars were being broken down, maybe that was also part of that time. So uh, we can wonder to what extent did Jeremiah's ministry influence Josiah? That's an open question. I don't know that the scriptures tell us that definitively, um, but I encourage you to think about that. Um, the second data point that Jeremiah 1.3 gives us is Jehoiakim's 11-year reign. So flip over to... Um, Second Chronicles 36 
And we have in the first four verses, we have a son of Josiah who only reigned three months. He's not mentioned in Jeremiah. But then in verse five, Jehoiakim, um, whose name had been changed, it had been, if you look at verse four, Eliakim, it was changed and the king of Egypt changed it. Anyway, five, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And um, you can read more about that. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon came and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. So that was of an early wave of exiles that was going out. Um, An opportunity for the Lord for people to see that the Lord was serious about his word um, and they did not desist or believe. Uh, Zedekiah, we hear about him in verse 11. Um, Zedekiah, so we skip another king who or isn't, he isn't mentioned in uh, Jer- Jeremiah 1 to 3. That doesn't mean it's denying him. It's just that he only reigned three months. Um, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Okay, verse 15 and 16, I suggest to you as we go on, like when you get confused in Jeremiah, like what is going on? 15 and 16 are a good summary to come back. Second Chronicles 36, 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. So that is the context, friends. Uh, And notice the parallelism if we go back to um, in Zedekiah's reign, verse 12. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. What is an example of Zedekiah's evil? Refusing to humble himself before the word of God spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Which brings us, I think, to a principle that we can learn from this section. Section: Godly leaders receive God's word with humility. Godly leaders receive God's word with humility. God calls leaders to lead people in repentance, in obedience. Leaders are not exempt from God's call. And so two applications I think we can think about. Um, Number one, pray for our leaders. Who is your leader? Who has God set over you? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them to have a heart that is humble, to be humble and remain humble before the Lord? And also, um, it's discerning. When you have an opportunity to have a voice in whether someone should or should not lead, that should be a qualification that you're thinking about. What is their their level of humility before the Lord? How often are they willing to say, I'm sorry, I did wrong, to repent 
to have their life display repentance. Leaders should lead in repentance. Humility is not something inherently our culture values in leaders, but it should be. Um, I suggest to you, second application is for ourselves. Um, If God calls leaders to be humble before his word, it's because he wants all the people to be humble before his word. Um, God gives us his word for our good. We need his correction. That's why we need humility. We need to hear hard things from his word. There will not be any lasting good that ever comes from you or me being hardened, being prideful before the Lord regarding his word. The place of blessing is the place of rebuke. Um, that's a tough lesson to learn and I'm still learning it. Um, but it's, it's in Proverbs. It's in Hebrews 12. It's, um, it's how we know God loves us. If he is disciplining you, that is evidence of his love and care for you, his investment for you. Um, is there an area where even now you've resisted the Lord? Where you know what he wants. And you've said, well, no thank you. There's a place in my life where he's like, Vicki, you need to drive the speed limit. I don't know why that's a big ask for me. But why am I not willing to do that? If there's an area where you've resisted, confess it. He says, his word says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a good promise and he's gonna keep it because he's a God whose word is true and trustworthy. Okay, let's move on. Um, Because God is trustworthy and he only speaks trustworthy words, we should take his words to heart. So let's look at four through 10. God chooses to speak through Jeremiah. And so we're gonna look at this. There are really three parts to this section. So we're back in Jeremiah. We're not gonna go back to Chronicles again. Um, Not because it's not good, but we're just, we're gonna be in Jeremiah. Okay, so um, three parts of this. We see verses four and five, God's declaration. Uh, verses six through eight, um, God is, answers Jeremiah's pushback. And then in nine to 10, we have the Lord equipping Jeremiah. So just a little bit about each of those parts. Um, we are thrust, verse four, after like all those historical details, um, which the original audience would have certainly known better than, than you and I do. Um, we are thrust in the middle of this conversation. Now the word of the Lord came to me Uh, We're not even told who that is. Contextually, it's Jeremiah, right? Um, And we figure that out later on saying, quote, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you a prophet to the nations. And so uh, notice how God initiates this action. Um, He speaks in verse four um, and in verse five, he's doing all those verbs. I formed I knew, I consecrated, I appointed. Um, God is personal. He is purposeful. He's our creator. And when he says consecrated, what does that mean? Uh, it means cause to be holy, cause to be set apart. 
And of course, um, Ephesians 1 and Psalm 139 and there are other parts of scripture suggests that God is active in all these ways in each of those whom he calls to himself. But to name this for Jeremiah specifically, that I chose you before you were born and set you apart for this, um, he is joining a select group of those that God has set apart to serve key roles in his redemptive plan. Isaac, Jacob, Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, of course, Jesus, uh, the suffering servant, perhaps David, perhaps Solomon, there, perhaps Moses, there are some others. Um, but this is a select, <laughs> this is a big deal to be in that group um, and it, I, I suggest to you, increases, it should tune our ears in even more closely to be reading Jeremiah and listening to his words. The important role is for Jeremiah, um, how is he featured in God's redemptive plan? He is going to be a prophet to the nations. And so note that God intends to speak, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Um, and just as in the plan of God's redemption, the, as we said in Isaiah 49, verse six, it was too light a thing for the servant to gather back Jacob to the Lord. He's gonna make the servant a light to the nations that all the nations will be able to come in and receive the Lord's forgiveness and restoration. And so this suggests that Jeremiah's ministry will play a key role in God's purposes. The whole world, you and me, seems invited to listen carefully. Okay, the second part, we see um, verses six through eight. Uh, Jeremiah gives some pushback and God answers uh, definitively. And so uh, reading six or eight, then I said, ah, Lord, notice that, uh, by the way, uh, little O, little R, little D, meaning master, uh, the Lord God, God is in all caps. So it would have been uh, Lord, master, and then God's covenant name, um, Yahweh. So there, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Okay, um, this Jeremiah's protest here does evoke to us, those of us who've read Exodus 4, we should be hearing echoes of Moses, who said, I don't know how to speak. And the Lord says, who gives humanity his mouth? Um, and uh, Jeremiah seems to feel inadequate. And so you and I should pause to note this. God can call someone to something that conflicts with how they feel or how they see themselves. No one, I suggest you going one step further, no one should feel adequate to what the Lord calls them to do. A sense of inadequacy is a prerequisite for service because God is teaching us not to depend on ourselves, our own abilities, our, you know, like, oh, I'm really good at public speaking. Actually, no, I'm terrible at public speaking. He is like, he's been helping me. I am literally terrified every time I stand up here. Like, he, like, he has not let me get out of that. And what a blessing, because then I'm not like, oh, Vicki, you're so amazing, right? 
How are you serving the Lord? And do you feel inadequate? That's a really good thing. Where do you go with those inadequacies? They should take you to the Lord. Um, okay, the, there are two, the Lord's response then, um, in, we've got two commands uh, framing two statements and concluded by one promise and one exclamation mark. So uh, the two commands, do not say, do not fear, kind of frame in, like kind of make a sandwich with these two statements. Um, for I am with you, or wait, for, to all whom I send, I, you shall go. Whatever I command you, I shall speak. And then he has those two promises, or one promise, I am with you to deliver you. And the exclamation point declares the Lord. So three quick observations about this, um, this section here. Um, it is implied that Jeremiah would face serious opposition. He was going to have unpalatable words to speak. And they would draw personal attack. So you guys are going to talk about that in your lesson. Very specific ways where that happened. The second thing is, and this is why I pause to draw this uh, to you, uh, point this out, the Lord, uh, little o, little r, little d. When that occurs in the Old Testament anyway, it does mean it's from the Hebrew word meaning master, adon. And so um, it's different from when Lord is in all caps, which is God's covenant name, uh, Yahweh. And so here Jeremiah is saying initially in his protest, he calls the Lord the master. Um, and the word actually that is used here and translated, and I think trustworthy, worthily, tr- youth, um, can also be servant, attendant. And so there's a connection there between, do you see that? Like, He's the master gets to decide. God, the Lord is the kind of master who expects loyalty and obedience. Um, So you're going to go wherever I send you and whatever I say to you to command you to speak, you're going to say it um, because the Lord is the master. But he also commits himself that that doesn't just go one way, that the Lord is going to be with Jeremiah. He will not, anything that is done to the servant is actually done to the master. And he will take that on himself. That will be his battle. He will not forsake Jeremiah. Um, and then finally, the exclamation mark, or what I'm calling the exclamation mark. Um, in my ESV, it's been translated, declares the Lord. It's translated uh, similarly, but variously with other translations. Um, this is a phrase that's kind of common in prophetic speech um, in the Bible, and it serves as a reminder that these are the Lord's real words. So if you watch VeggieTales, the Jonah movie, I think they did it with like a message from the Lord. Like, or it made me think of, if you've seen the Mandalorian, the one character who says, I have spoken. Like, it's that idea of like, I am, you should pause and know that these are the Lord's words. Um, And so this happens uh, frequently in the Old Testament. Um, it happens 376 times. Uh, so you get books like Amos, Isaiah, Zechariah. They have about 20 occurrences. Ezekiel has almost four times that at 85 occurrences. Guess about Jeremiah? 176. By far the most frequent use of this phrase, declares the Lord, This is a constant reminder to Jeremiah, the speaker, and to the listeners, and to us as we're reading, like, these are not Jeremiah's made-up words. These are the Lord's words. 
that um, are him. And so that are, had been given to him. And the third part of this section then is that uh, the Lord is really, does something very symbolic that actually, I don't know, maybe it wasn't symbolic, um, to kind of underscores that. And uh, the Lord touches uh, Jeremiah's mouth with his hand. How did that work? Uh, I don't know. But uh, in a way that's real, um, the narrative slows down. The Lord put out his hand. There are many times in the New Testament that talk about Jesus putting out his hand and touching a leper, touching people to heal them. Um, The Lord's touch in the Bible is significant. This is a big deal. And the Lord interprets what that touch means. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. What does that mean? See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And so Jeremiah's mouth by this one touch is forever belongs to the Lord, is consecrated unto him. Jeremiah's words are God's words and God's words have power, this kind of power. Um, And note the worldwide scope of this again, Uh, that should perk our ears up. Um, And these three verbal pairs that God is intervening in history, he's redeeming. And he's got, there are negative things that happen and positive things. And if you look, there are those three pairs. Um, Actually, if you look at them from the the outside going in, they seem to be mirrored. So to pluck up and to plant are used with plants. Like the Lord planted in the garden of Eden is this verb. He planted Israel in the land. And so he is, what are the objects of this? It's the kingdoms from earlier nations and over kingdoms to pluck up. And um, this world belongs, the earth belongs to the Lord. And he is the right to move nations around. um, And he will do that when they are disobedient to him. Uh, Our nation should also take note. Um, and then moving in that next frame to break down uh, and then from the, the, la- the second to last to build, those are pa- that's a pair that goes usually with altars. To break down altars, we just read about that, Josiah did that, and to build altars, build the right kind of altars. And so this suggests to us that at the heart of Jeremiah's ministry is, the, is worship. Worship of the Lord, service of the Lord is at the heart. Um, And then the second pair, the middle, or I'm sorry, the middle pair to destroy and overthrow, um, those seem both negative, right? Uh, Destroyed, caused to perish. Uh, Throughout, these verbs are used throughout key places at Jeremiah, and you can look for them in your concordance and follow through on that. Um, God's words are hard, but they are working toward a good end. Of course, that good end is from his vantage, right? His enemies may not agree with that vantage, um, but God is attentive to those who humble themselves. He does not delight in overthrowing and destroying. Um, And so oftentimes, there are many times in Jeremiah that the verb that's used here to overthrow, there's a not in front of it. I will not overthrow because he's promising restoration. He's promising uh, building up, um, 
So he is not going to, he doesn't delight in overthrowing, but neither does he uh, will let decay and wickedness prevail. So um, two takeaways here, and then I think I'll wrap up. Um, God equips those he calls. And so seeing God set Jeremiah apart for a specific service um, can often be seen, I think, and, and rightly so that one application is to think about how God does set servants, his servants apart for holy service. Um, and that setting apart is, uh, will be uncomfortable. It will take us beyond our, whatever our adequacies are and our, our strengths. And it will involve us being corrected by the Lord, just as uh, Jeremiah was um, in, in verse seven and eight. Um, but there's a second, so that is the application I encourage you to, like God equips, he calls, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the calls. So um, that is an application. Uh, I would suggest a more pressing one, two. One that's a little less comfortable for us as Westerners who like the idea of our individual callings that God would use us and that would be fun and we can share in Christ's sufferings. And, you know, I mean, there are good things about that and hard, okay. But here's, why would this call come here? Think about Jeremiah 1, is that very clearly God is calling Jeremiah to speak his words and then 51 chapters follow that that is characterized by people not listening, not taking to heart, doing whatever it is that they wanna do, which is exactly the opposite of what God wanted for them. Um, So, I encourage you, God put his own words in Jeremiah's mouth before we rush off too quickly to think about our own callings, and and that's good. Um, I would encourage us to think first about this. God calls everyone everywhere to hear Jeremiah's words as his own. God calls everyone everywhere to hear Jeremiah's words at his own, and Deuteronomy 18.18 suggests to us Um, and Jeremiah, the book also uh, images this for us, God will hold us accountable to take Jeremiah's words to heart. Um, This is a call to humility in a lifetime of study. Jeremiah is not an easy read. Um, It's hard to hear, um, but it's good for us. Uh, Okay, so I'm out of time, but I'll wrap up very quickly. This third chapter, God's words, uh, estab- sorry, division, establish the pattern of Jeremiah's ministry. God gives three images and interprets each of them. There's an almond tree um, and then a boiling pot. And then in verses uh, seven through 17 through 19, a strong but besieged city. And so, um, oh man, there was, okay. Uh, just two quick things. One, um, in the first image there, um, verse 11 and 12, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Do you see that? That God interprets the image. He is personally involved. He promised to be with him. Look at that. He is doing that. And even though we won't necessarily see this kind of dialogue described to us throughout Jeremiah, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. God is personally involved. Um, And there is a, seems to be there's a sound play there. The word for almond 
uh, in Hebrew and the word for watching over are almost the same. There's just a vowel difference, shakade versus shokade. Um, and so God is not going to let his word languish. So you and I should not be alarmed with conspiracy theories. They're like, oh, this isn't the Bible God wanted us to have. Um, no, God watches over his word. Um, we don't need to think that God has forgotten us. He, God preserves a remnant in every generation. Um, and when we read it to now, even tonight, God is watching over. He will accomplish his purposes. Um, okay, and then the, just the last um, part of this. Um, sorry, I did have, eh, I don't know what happened to it. Maybe I don't have that. Um, God will not, wait, where is that? Goodness sakes, this is my first time ever. Oh, here it is. Um, first time ever using handwritten notes. Um, though our t- so here's a principle I think we can see from this last division, which we didn't really talk about at all, but um, there you go. Um, though our trust in God will be tested, he will never forsake those who trust him. Our trust in God will be tested, and Jeremiah's was for sure. And it did not look like, if you looked from the outside at Jeremiah's life, it did not look like he was winning. His trust in God was tested. Um, But God prevailed. He will never forsake those who trust in him. Um, So I encourage you, I encourage myself. um, God speaks only trustworthy words. This is the only sure foundation for our lives. Um, What is our right response? One, uh, to repent of the ways that we've not taken God's word seriously. Uh, two, to thank him. How generous that our king, who is right to say that he would want us to know his word and know his character, would make studying his word so fun and beautiful. Because it is, his word is beautiful. And it is delightful. Um, and I encourage you and I encourage myself, like, keep on. This is a lifetime of study, um, take it to heart. Um, you and I will not graduate from this until we see him face to face. So press on friends. Um, and even though our studies are wrapping up already put on your calendar, summer study, because we're, we'll be doing that too. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your care for us. Uh, thank you that you, uh, take care of us, that you speak your word and you follow through. Thank you for helping us to trust you being patient with us um, and forgiving when we do not, um, reminding us and helping us turn from trusting in ourselves and in other things. Lord, would you, uh, would you prove tonight that you are watching over your word, that you would have real and important things happen, eternal things happen tonight, even as we are reading uh, Jeremiah and discussing it in our groups. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.